This morning, uh, I want to kind of do kind of a second part of, of what I started yesterday afternoon, which was looking really at kind of kingdom priorities and kingdom motivations. Yesterday afternoon, we looked at the whole thing of the kingdom, seeing the kingdom come as being our priority, as, as that kind of sense, that thing, that thing of first priority that God has called us to, that no matter what we're doing in our lives, no matter what job we have, no matter what, how we spend our time, whatever we give our energies to, that actually our assignment from God is to heal the sick, to cast out demons, is to live lives that are increasingly righteous, peaceful, and joyful, and to proclaim the call of God, to follow God wherever we go. That's what we're about, isn't it? That's what, um, let me just turn, I think one of these is rattling here. I know far too much about PA systems now than I should do, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, so that's the call of God on our lives. No matter what we're doing is that no matter what our jobs, our situations, we're called to bring the kingdom, yeah? We're called to be a people of first priority. Where Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. So that's what God is looking to build into our hearts, this thirst and this cry that says, look, actually, of first importance in my life is to bring the kingdom wherever I go. And I increasingly want to do that on a daily, weekly basis, more and more. I want to be able to hear stories like from last night of healings and people coming, being saved. And, and even as a result of our time together, I know that we're all growing in God. Hopefully we're growing in righteousness, peace and joy as a result of what God is doing even amongst us over this weekend. Passion that changes our lives. That's what it's about, isn't it? A passion that not just this is a technical thing, and yes, wouldn't that be good, but actually it's something that starts moving from our head to our heart, a cry that starts to grip us that says, look, actually, this has got to be the thing that shapes my life, uh, a desire to follow Jesus's instructions to say, look, I'm going to seek first the kingdom in my life. That's what I want to give my life to. So today, I want to look at the second half of that, which is motivations, uh, that sense of, yes, Seek first the kingdom of God is our top priority, but actually we need to keep our motivations healthy as well. Um, motivation is vital if we're going to accomplish anything in life. Okay, there's not many people who have an attitude of, you know, I can't be bothered. If, if someone uses the phrase can't be bothered a lot, a lot in life, then they don't tend to accomplish much <laughs> other than uh, probably getting a few pressure sores from sitting on the sofa a lot or you know, a, a great knowledge of television. You know, if you have an attitude that says, I can't be bothered, when someone says, let's do this, oh, I can't be bothered. Or, you know, let's go out, oh, I can't be bothered. You don't tend to accomplish much in life, do you? Yeah? You know, your, your threshold is pretty low. It's kind of like, well, you know, some things happen, but that's more by accident than anything. So motivation is key. It's like the fuel in our car, as it were. You know, we can have a lovely car, but unless you've got fuel in it, you're never going to go anywhere. Motivation is really, really important. What grips our heart is really, really important. But I don't think that, that means it's okay to have any old motivation. Because uh, actually the wrong motivation for something can keep us going for a little while, but soon enough it actually starts to lead us into trouble. So uh, the wrong motivation can actually get you moving, but actually if you keep running on the wrong fuel, the wrong motivation, it ends up in trouble. Just as it would if you put petrol into a diesel car. Has anyone ever done that? Has anyone had a, put petrol into a diesel car? Yeah, good confession. Yeah, no gentleman, but... Oh, no, Ray put his hand up. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> but, you know, if you put petrol into your diesel car, then I'm sure we could come and give us a testimony of what happens, yeah? It's not good. 
Lots of crying, yeah. Is that directly as a result of the petrol or is that the, yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't go well, does it? You know, the, the car, a diesel car is designed to run on diesel. Put petrol in it. You can go a little way, but pretty soon things start going very wrong. You know, it starts kind of falling apart. And the further you go, the more damage you cause as you go on. Even the minute you turn the ignition on, if you've got the wrong fuel in your car, damage has started to take place. And if you start driving down the road, before long, that damage starts to manifest as you go through. So actually putting the right fuel in your car is really important. So having the right motivation for what God calls us to is actually really important if we're going to go as far as, and as wide as we really can do in God. If we're going to fulfill all of the potential we have in God, actually having the right fuel is important. Now, you might think, well, how can you be wrongly motivated to advance the kingdom of God? You know, if I'm going out with a heart, a desire to, to go and do the stuff, to reach the world around me, surely it doesn't really matter how I'm motivated. As long as I'm doing it, that's the most important thing. But actually, it does matter how we're motivated. It does matter the state of our hearts, because actually it does, it does have a direct relation to how effective we're going to be, but actually how sustainable it's going to be as well. We want a lifetime of doing this, not just a few weeks or months and just burn out and crash, do we? We want to be people who our lives are dictated by this. So what would be some of the potentially the wrong kind of fuels that we could put in our heart for motivating to want to extend the kingdom? Well, obligation is the, is the wrong fuel. That sense of, oh, I have to do this now. You know, this is just another weight that's been put on me. I've got to go and heal the sick. You know, this, I've got to do this for Jesus. You know, I don't want to. You know, it's the last thing I want to do today, but actually I'm obliged to do it now. It's just another thing that's come into my life. Along with doing the washing and doing the shopping, I've now got to heal the sick. I don't want to do this, okay? That's not good fuel, all right? What about fear? Fear is a, is a bad fuel in our hearts. You know, a sense of, well, bad things might happen to me if I don't do what God says, that sense of unhealthy fear, that sense of, well, what's going to ha- what might happen badly in my life if I don't do it? It's all, almost a bit like a karma type thing, a sense of, well, if I don't do the right things, then bad things might happen to me. This, this kind of fear can be the wrong fuel. What about guilt? That's not a great motivator either. That's the wrong fuel in your heart. This sense of, well, if I don't, I'm letting God down if I don't advance his kingdom, that somehow I'm letting everybody down. I'm just a failure. If I don't do this, everyone else is doing it. I'm not. I feel so guilty. I feel so bad. That's not a motivator at all. Uh, Performance. That's not a great one. That's not going to do you much good for long. The sense of God will love me more if I go out and cast out some demons. God's going to love me even more if I'm on the front foot doing that. A performance. The sense that somehow I have to live up to something in order to be loved by God and have favor. That's That's not good fuel in our hearts. Or it might be to impress other people. The sense that actually I'll be more liked by other Christians and I'll be more um, impressed. They'll, they'll like me more and they'll respect me more if I'm out doing this stuff. If I'm, if I'm kind of living more righteously, if that's something that I can bring the kingdom, bring the, the light of God into a situation, everyone else is, I'm going to get a really good reputation with other Christians. They're going to be impressed with me. That's not healthy either. Being proved right, a, a desire just to, to kind of be proved right all the time. A sense of, I want to go and see people saved because then it will prove that I was right all along. I want you to become a Christian because you've argued with me all these times, and actually I just want you to become a Christian to prove that I was right and you were wrong. Yeah? That's not, that's not, you might not express it quite like that, but that can be in there, can't it? This sense of kind of justice of like, well, hang on, I'm in the right camp, you're in the wrong, and I'm going to prove you wrong one day. 
that's not really a healthy motivation. And sometimes actually it can be even our motivations can be subconsciously linked even with church. There can be a sense of, uh, you know, church survival. If I don't advance the kingdom, my church is going to decline and, and fail. A sense of actually we've been motivated by trying to keep our church alive. Actually, I need to do that. It's not actually because we want to see the kingdom come. It's because we want to prop our church up and keep things okay here. Or even church point scoring. If we're really advancing the kingdom, then actually it will prove that we're the only real church in this town. It will prove us right in the end. You know, this is where God really loves us a little bit more than everybody else, because you can see it, because lots of stuff's happening here. You know, that can creep in to our thinking. I'm sure there's lots of other kind of unhealthy motivations, but the truth is that if even some of those motivations are in our heart, when we come to this sense of, okay, I want to get out there and do this stuff, I want to advance the kingdom of God, then those kind of motivations will keep you going for a little while. They'll get you moving, but actually before too long, you'll break down. Your car will stop because actually it's not the right fuel in our heart. It ends up in damage, unfruitfulness, disappointment, disillusionment. It's not a healthy place to be, and it ends up costing a lot. So what does the Bible have to say? That's what I want to look at this morning. What, what has the Bible got to say about how do we keep our motivations on track? How do we ensure that we can go as far and as long as we possibly can, that we break the tape of our lives advancing the kingdom? Because we fueled up with the right stuff. We know why we're doing it and what God has called us to. So there's three things that I kind of kind of see from the life of Jesus of how he lived and what he said that actually are just helpful things for us to think, okay, these are the kind of fuels that I need to be putting in my tank. I need to be making sure that this is what's driving me on in my desire to advance the kingdom. I'm really pumped up with, you know, I've been at some of these sessions and I've heard Clyde speak and I've heard God speak to me and, yeah, I want to do this stuff. I want to give my life to this. Well, let's make sure that as we do that, we're putting the right fuel in our tank. Okay, so firstly, the first fuel that I can see from Jesus' life is that he was motivated by only doing the Father's business. He had a real clear sense of who he was working for. Now, it's not some kind of radically amazing thing to realize that Jesus was the greatest kingdom advancer that's ever walked on this planet. Yeah, clearly, that, that's not, no, I, think, I presume no one's going to disagree with that. He was the one who has brought them the kingdom in its, in, more than anyone has ever done because he's the son of God. That's kind of fairly helpful in that. But he had a clear perspective of his relationship with Father God. And he, being the son of God, still had a clear understanding of who he was working for and under whose authority he was living. If you turn, if you've got a Bible with you, to John chapter 5. We see Jesus kind of giving us a, an insight into his thinking, into how he handled these things. So if you've got John chapter 5 and verse 18, it says, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. I mean, that's, that's quite an outstanding statement for the son of God to be saying. That actually, he's saying, I can't do anything on my own. I only do what I see the Father doing. See, Jesus was quick to acknowledge when people were accusing him, 
they were saying, they were kind of looking, plotting to kill him. Actually, he's, he's, he was very quick to say, look, I'm doing this under the authority of my heavenly father. That's who I'm working for. This is not about me. This is about me doing his work. I mean, if, if anybody had the, 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 the mandate, the justification to go it alone, to do his own thing, to, to kind of promote his own agenda and his own kind of ministry, it was going to be Jesus, surely. I mean, he's the, the son of God. He's feeding 5,000, healing the sick everywhere he went. If anyone had a uh, reason to say, well, actually, yeah, this is, this is my thing. Look, it's me doing this. I'm the son of God. It was him. Yet, actually, he first, all the time, first in his thought was, look, I'm not doing this on my own accord. This is not about me. This is about me doing the Father's business. I can only do what he's doing. I can only do what he gives me authority to do. I mean, that's quite countercultural, isn't it? In as much as it would have been quite, people would have seen that as a bit of a weakness. They were looking for him to kind of stand up and kind of say, yeah, but I am this and I am that. And he's, he's saying, no, actually, look, I can't do anything on my own. This isn't about me. This is about something bigger than simply me. It was, his, it was his greatest strength was his acknowledgement, actually, that I'm under the authority of my father. I'm a man working under authority. Yes, fully God, but fully submitted to the father as well. It wasn't about himself. It was about something far bigger. The world, is, the world trains us to think that self-reliant and impressive people get things done. That's the route to kind of success, to be self-reliant, to be impressive, to have everything seemingly together, no flaws. And if anyone gets in your way, you kick them out of the way because actually it's about you and what you're trying to accomplish. And that can come into our lives as Christians. That we can think, that actually, in order to really be someone who's effective for God, I've got to have it all together. I've got to be, you know, it's about self-reliance is about looking after myself and about getting forward and pushing ahead that actually if we're going to see the world transformed you know we can't be weak we've got to be strong we've got to show ourselves to be that and actually when it comes to talking about advancing the kingdom it's quite a daunting task isn't it yeah i hope you feel a little bit daunted by some of the things of healing the sick and casting out demons and seeing people saved they're, they're pretty pretty big things it's a daunting task and sometimes we can actually get into a mindset of think, well, that's going to be only really for the very competent Christians, for the ones that really have got it all together, the, the impressive Christians, the ones that you can look at and think, yeah, you're quite impressive. I bet you're good at doing that kind of stuff. But if that's our motivation, that actually somehow we, 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 our goal is to become more impressive, then actually that's a very unhealthy thing. Jesus is goal wasn't to become impressive, to show off and impress everyone. Actually, he said, look, my, my, my motivation is actually my, who I am in God, who I'm working for, who, whose business I'm actually about. We don't have to promote ourselves in order to accomplish much. We simply have to say, look, actually, I am working in my father's business. This isn't about me. This isn't about us. This is about I see what the father's doing, and I'm, and I'm working on his behalf. Clyde talked a lot about this on, on Thursday evening. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to listen to it when it gets onto the website. This sense of really knowing who we are in God brings us a sense of freedom. And you think, see that actually Jesus in this moment when he says that actually I'm not working on my own, I'm working under my father's authority, it removes a whole lot of anxiety and worry when you actually realize who you're working for. Because if we have to 
do it all, if we have to have it all together, if we have to have all the answers to everything, if we have to grow the church ourselves, if we have to advance the kingdom ourselves, then that's a pretty tough order. That's a pretty stressful place to be when things don't go quite right. But when we realize, actually, we're working, um, we're, just, we're just doing what the Father tells us to. We're not working on our own accord. It's not about us. This is about, I'm working in his business. Suddenly, that anxiety and worry gets taken off. It's a bit like when you, if you're in a work situation and, and, and you, the person who's your line manager or your boss, they go off on holiday for a couple of weeks and you're left in charge. And, and suddenly you start feeling a bit stressed, don't you? Suddenly all the kind of everyone starts coming to you with all the problems and you're suddenly like, oh, this is not me. And when you know that they're coming back and when it gets to the Friday and you know that the next Monday, God, oh, they're, they're back. And it gets to Monday and they walk in the door. It's suddenly like, whew, something changes, doesn't it? There's a relief. Oh, they're back. They're back in charge. I don't have to deal with all that stuff anymore. The responsibility is yours. Like you quickly kind of pass all the, you know, the books and the, divert all the emails back to them. So look, you're in charge now. You know, you're back. It's, we should be thinking like that when it comes to the things of God. Actually, he's in charge. It's his worry. It's his anxiety. It's his de- things to deal with. Bill Johnson, the American pastor, says this, whatever you gain through self-promotion, you'll have to sustain through self-promotion. When our promotion comes from God, he sustains it. It's really helpful. When our promotion comes from God, he sustains it. When actually God is at work, and we're saying it's about you, God, we're working under your authority, we don't have to work hard to try and pump something up and keep it going. Oh, look, things are declining, oh dear. It's like, okay, God, you're in charge. This is your business. We are sons and daughters working in our father's business. None of this is about us doing what we think best. It's not about us trying to please other people. What will make us look good? This is simply about doing the father's will. We're not building ourselves an empire. We're advancing our father's kingdom. That's what we're about. This is not about making us look glorious and think, hey, look at those guys. Look at what they're doing. This is about advancing our father's kingdom. And it frees us from many of the really unhelpful motivations, the unhelpful fuels that can get in. When we think, oh, we've got to impress others. We've got to live up to a certain level of performance. Or we've got to be better than the other people. When we realize, hey, no, 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 no. We're advancing our Father's kingdom. We're not about creating an empire for ourselves to make ourselves look good. This is about him. We can work from a place of rest and peace. Because, hey, my Father's in charge. (laughs) He's in charge. And, you know, I'm submitted to him and we're just doing what he says. So good fuel, the first kind of bit of fuel, the first bit of motivation that if we want to be a people that advance the kingdom effectively, we just have to make sure we remember who we're working for, who it's about. This is not about us creating some lovely, dynamic organization that everyone says, hey, look at them, aren't they brilliant? This is about advancing our Father's kingdom where they turn and say, wow, isn't he great? Isn't this heavenly Father of yours amazing? The second motivation that we must make sure that we're putting into our tank and make sure that we keep it topped up is that of compassion from the, for the world. That we must be motivated by compassion for the world. It's so evident in Jesus' life that we can see this took place. Because coming to earth, redeeming mankind, and kind of returning to heaven in order to allow us to have an opportunity to know God for ourselves, to extend his kingdom... It's not a task. This wasn't just simply a task for Jesus that he had to carry out. 
it wasn't just something he, he was like, oh, okay, Father, I'll do it. I don't really want to. I've got a spare 33 years. I guess I could kind of pop down and do that if you really want me to. I don't want to. It's like asking, he wasn't like asking his kid to go down the shop to get a pint of milk, you know, trying to bribe. The Father didn't have to bribe Jesus to come to earth to redeem mankind. It was for love that they were motivated. The Godhead was motivated by love and compassion. And so we see this in Jesus' life, and when he comes on, when he's on earth and he's advancing his kingdom, he doesn't cease to be motivated by love. And we can see in many of the miracles he did that actually his motivation was compassion for the people that he performed the miracles on. So if you see, for example, Matthew chapter 9, And verse 35 and 37. Said, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction, advancing the kingdom wherever he went, bringing light where there was darkness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What was in Jesus' heart? It was compassion. He looked at the people and, and he saw actually a generation that were helpless and harassed. If that doesn't sum up our world now, then I don't know what does. Helpless and I feel helpless and harassed half the time. Yeah, that's the world out there, isn't it? Helpless and harassed. This kind of busy, crazy world going on where people think that we're evolving to a greater level of civilization, but actually we're just getting into a bigger and bigger mess. You know, what is, how does Jesus look on this world? With compassion. Just like he did with the crowds, he looked and he just had, his heart was moved for the people in front of him, which then was the motivation to heal the sick, proclaim the gospel, because he knew that the answer for them was in the kingdom, was in the proclaiming the gospel. He knew that he had the answer to their problem and was moved by compassion for the people. He knew he had what they needed. If you go into Matthew 14, and verse 13, we see again another example of Jesus being moved with compassion. It says, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, the day is over now. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for them. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And he said to them, we only have five loaves here and two fishes. And he said, bring them here to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them into the crowds. They all ate and were satisfied. They took up the 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So phenomenal kind of miracles taking place here. But what was the root of it all? It was in verse 14. He saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. So that compassion prompted him to heal the sick, which is just a phenomenal act of, uh, of, of God. But then actually that compassion is still evident when actually the disciples are saying, right, we've done all the stuff, send them off, Lord, we need a rest. You know? And he's saying, no, 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 hang on, they need something to eat. Your compassion is still there in terms of the practical uh, feeding of people. 
what was Jesus' motivation? It was still compassion. It wasn't, I'm going to now, you know, for my next act, I'm now going to do this. You know, don't wait, disciples, I've got something more up my sleeve. You know, you watch this one. This is a good one. You know, give, give me as little food as you can and see what I can do with it. I can even overestimate, look, and we'll have loads left over. You know, I thought, you know, that's an example. I think Jesus was one of the first church leaders. Church leaders always overestimate how many people are in the room. <laughs> You ask someone, how many is room? Oh, it's about 500. Yeah, but I counted the chairs, there's 200. No, 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 it's about 500 there. Jesus looked and saw all these people and overestimated. That's why they had loads of bread left over. I'm sure that's not the case. But, but he was motivated not only just to heal the sick, but also motivated to meet practical needs as well. By compassion, his heart was moved. And Luke, verse, uh, Luke chapter 7, we see another example Luke 7, verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples had a great crowd, and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bear, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave, to him, gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen amongst us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all of the surrounding country. What motivated Jesus? Compassion. A compassion for an individual. We see compassion for crowds. We also see compassion for an individual. A sense where he saw this one woman's despair that her only son had died and his heart was moved with compassion it wasn't some task and faceless thing that he was just doing like some kind of power thing which was like there was no connection at all with people Jesus was connecting with people and then bringing the kingdom into their lives we mustn't mustn't separate God's power and the kingdom power with connection with people Jesus connected people and the kingdom together. It's about individuals. It's about people groups. It's not about showing something off. God loves to show off, but he loves to show it off in his love to people. He loves to bring it into people's lives. He loves to change individuals. Compassion needs to be in our heart if we're to advance the kingdom effectively. It's got to be a key fuel in our tank, a growing love for the people around us. Um, what does that mean? It means being able to put ourselves in people's shoes, to be able to, to imagine what their situation is like, to think, actually, what must it be like to, to, to live with that kind of disability? What must it be like to live with that kind of restraint on your life? What must it be like to have grown up in that situation? Just to take moments, just to think, well, actually, let me put myself in your shoes for a moment. I want to feel something of what your pain is at the moment. It means to suspend judgment of people so we're not casting opinions about people all the time or making snap judgments about their worth and whether they deserve something it means to look at them with the eyes of love and say lord i want to see people like you see people i want to look through your lens not my own lens and you know when we do that we start to see the endless possibilities for people if they meet could only meet with jesus we start seeing actually what the, the possibilities are for any individual when they actually meet Jesus. We start to see potential 
rather than anything else. So compassion needs to be something we're growing in. It needs to be something we're putting more and more in our hearts. It helps us to transfer from like an obligation-based thing to a passion-based thing. We, we see the world, we just want to get out there because we have such a compassion for the world around us. It moves us from point scoring, look at us, we're this, we're that, to actually soul rescuing. It's about individuals, about people's eternal destiny. It moves us from a task-based thing, well, I've done that today, I've ticked that off, to a lifestyle that says, wherever I go, I want to bring the light, I want to bring the kingdom wherever I go. So compassion is another key fuel that's got to go in our, in our tank if we're going to be a people that sustain uh, this lifestyle of bringing the kingdom. And the third thing that Jesus kind of highlights to us in terms of how do we put the right fuel in to keep us going for the whole of the journey so that we don't break down on the way is that our greatest joy needs to be in our eternal life that we've been given. Now, yesterday we looked at Luke 10, uh, and we kind of looked through how that's such a great example when Jesus sent out the 72, such a great example of what we're to do in our lives in getting out there, everywhere, bringing the kingdom. But it's really interesting. I just want to look at the end when the disciples came back from their supernatural adventures. The words of Jesus give us such a clear um, and helpful illustration. It says in uh, verse 17 of Luke 10, when the disciples have come back from this amazing kind of adventures in kingdom advance, it says, the 72 return with joy in verse 17, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I mean, clearly these disciples were totally pumped up when they'd come back from this amazing adventure. Jesus had sent them out, and they'd gone out, and you know, they've seen amazing things happen. You imagine if we all went out now, for like down to Lowestoft, and we, we went out and we saw the sick healed, and then we're sort of casting out demons and bringing the kingdom. And then we all come back here for lunch. And, you know, we're all just like pumped up. Whoa, you wouldn't believe what happened. You know, I thought, you know, someone might say hello, but you never believe it. We were, even the spirits were subject to us. It was like chaos out there. Whoa, we just come out. You'd be pumping, wouldn't you? The disciples were, you know, the adrenaline was just pumping around their body because success is an exhilarating feeling. There's a sense where, wow, this is actually true. It actually happens, that something changes, transformation. There's a real buzz. And what Jesus does is, is just, as he always did, such wise words. He doesn't shoot them down. He doesn't tell them to get a bit of perspective. It was, you know, not you, it's the spirit working you. He says, look, you're right. You're right. You do have spiritual authority now in me. You know, I've, I've seen Satan fall. You know, now I've given you the authority. I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the spiritual powers. He's like, yeah, you're right. The spirits are now subject to you because of who is in you. But he says, actually, your greatest celebration needs to be in the fact that you're known by God himself. And that actually one day you're going to spend eternity with him. He's saying, actually, the source of your joy in life shouldn't be your success in kingdom advance. Your joy in life needs to be rooted in who you are in God and the fact that one day you will be with him forever. That you know God himself. 
Now, that's not to say we downplay the celebrations of kingdom breakthrough. We don't. You know, we celebrate lives changed, people being healed. That's fantastic. It's God at work. And, and we want to be celebrating that even more. And we want to see more of it and we want to celebrate it. But actually, our joy depends on something that cannot ever be taken away. And that is that our names are written in heaven. Because there is, we do live in this thing of the kingdom has come and we've been given authority, yet it's not come in its fullness not yet. We won't see 100% success. Because actually, that'll only happen when Jesus returns to earth and his kingdom is then brought in the new heavens and new earth. We can see a lot more than we do now. So we need to be going for it and seeing it. But actually, there will be times when things don't quite go right, where there, are, there is disappointment there, where actually, you know, we've gone out like lambs and there's wolves out there, there's hostility, there's difficulty. If our joy is based on how well are things have gone as we advance the kingdom, then actually we're in for a roller coaster of emotions. And Jesus is saying, yes, you've got authority. Go and use it. I want you to go out everywhere you go and bring the kingdom but your joy needs to be on that unshakable rock of your salvation. That unshakable rock that you are known by God himself. Your name is written in heaven. That's where your joy comes from. Not your circumstances around you. A joy that cannot be, can be lost when prayers aren't answered or seemingly unanswered. When actually hostility comes rather than favor. Because, you know, favor from the world can last a while and it's great, but it can soon change. If our joy is based on that, then we're in trouble. But he says, no, there's something bigger. It's like that lovely chapter in Romans 8, those verses in Romans 8 where Paul says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once you're in him, you can't lose it. Once once he's got you, you're there. And, And that needs to be the place. Do you know, when... If we grow in this, in our joy of our salvation, of the fact we're in God and his love, actually it makes us far more effective in advancing the kingdom because we can just take the knocks. And just, they, 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 you know, the hostility it just bounces off us. It doesn't think, well, I'm not doing that again. It's like, well, that doesn't matter because that's not, that's not my well-being. It's not based on how well it goes. Actually, I'm, I'm, you become indestructible when actually your joy is in the fact your name is written in heaven. Because advancing the kingdom is a battle. It will be costly. There'll be much joy and much celebration at breakthrough. But actually, if the reason you're doing it is just to get the buzz from it, then actually you won't last long. Your car will come to a bit of a halt. Actually, when the going gets tough, you'll run away. So actually putting the fuel in of knowing the love of God, our joy of our salvation, our names are written in heaven. That's what needs to go into our tank to make sure that the car keeps running. So there's three things there, I think, just to pull out the key motivations for us in advancing the kingdom, making sure we're putting the right fuel in, that we actually can last the journey and go long and far. So it's just maybe just you need to reflect on where you're at at the moment. You might be someone who's actually pushing on with advancing the kingdom, that you're actually seeing breakthrough taking place in your life and the people around you. 
Um, and actually, you're, you're already looking to step out wherever you can. Well, it might be that there's plenty of fuel in your tank, but at times it's the wrong fuel, and things don't always go as smoothly as they can. Maybe today the Holy Spirit just wants to do some tuning up for you and just kind of look, actually, you've got a bit of a wrong mix of some of that fuel. Maybe you're tolerating some stuff that you think, well, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about that, or, yeah, I feel a bit like that, but that's okay. But the Holy Spirit might just want to say to you, look, come on, let's not tolerate the wrong fuel. Let's make sure we get the right stuff in there. It might be something, some, you might be somewhere this morning where you think, yeah, actually, I do agree with all of this. I agree with the, the theme of this conference, what God has been speaking to us so clearly through many different ways. But you're just struggling to take any steps at all. You just think, I'm just not sure how I can really start doing this. You might feel that it's all unrealistic. You'd love it to happen, but you just can't really imagine how it's going to start taking place. You can't imagine those first few steps. And the good news is that it's for all of us. It's not just for a few, it's for all of us. But actually, you might be just feel like you're sitting in the car at the moment and there's just no fuel in the engine at all. You think, yeah, I'd love this car to be zooming down the, the motorway. I'd love to be going and doing this stuff. But every time I turn the ignition, there's just not, it doesn't seem to be, nothing happens. It doesn't fire. I kind of want to go, but uh, it's not going anywhere. There might be just, it's not about the wrong fuel. We just don't think there's any fuel in there at all. And it might be just that for you, the next step is just to cry out to God for some of this fuel to go into you. Because this isn't stuff we have to work up. This is the stuff the Holy Spirit wants to put in us. He's the one that puts the fuel in the tank. It might be that you're living under this burden of guilt and obligation. It might be that you have this sense, well, I've got to do this in my own strength. And today the Holy Spirit just wants to lift some of that burden off you and say, hey, look, you're not working for yourself. You're not doing this for the church. You're doing this for your Heavenly Father. So he just wants to say to you, look, you're getting it all wrong. If you think it's all about you and you have to carry the weight of it and you're carrying the weight of you know, the, the effort, then actually he just wants to come to you and say, remind you of Jesus' words and say, hey, look, you can't do anything of your own accord. You're working in your father's business. You're a son, you're a daughter who's working in your father's business. Dad, dad's here. He's in charge. Okay, let him take the burden off of you. You need this morning to have the fuel of the Father's love, approval, and him just taking the responsibility off. Maybe you just, you just need to say, Holy Spirit, I need you just to pour some of that fuel in my heart. Because actually, once you start getting that fuel coming in, of hey, I'm working for him, suddenly the car starts to, to fire when you turn the ignition. You suddenly realize, oh, hang on, that, that's, I, can, I can do this. If it's not having to be all on my shoulders, then hey, yeah, maybe this car can start moving. Maybe we can actually start taking some steps out. It might be that you're here this morning and you just need the Holy Spirit to fill your tank with compassion for the world around. It might be that actually instead of feeling irritated, judgmental or critical of those around you, that actually you just need the Holy Spirit to come and pour in some compassion and increasing love for people around you. It might be that actually that's the fuel that needs to go in your tank in order to start getting the car moving more. That actually, rather than just thinking, oh, I don't want anything to do with the world, suddenly he starts melting your heart for individuals or for people groups or for people around you. And suddenly you find yourself thinking, I look at that person now and I feel compassion for them where they just used to irritate me and they were just hostile and I just couldn't bear them. Suddenly my heart, I'm seeing them as you see them, Jesus. 
It's almost like Jesus were looking, you're looking through a lens of what, how Jesus would see. But the Holy Spirit wants to do that in you this morning. If that's what you need to fill your tank with, then he wants to fill that up. Or it might be that you just need a fresh revelation of the truth of your salvation. It might be that actually, you know, you've hit disappointments and you've hit times when you've tried it and it's not happened and, you've, and you think, God, oh, it made me feel terrible and I just don't want that feeling again. It might be that you've lost some of that, that wonder of the fact your name is written in heaven, the fact that you can know God for eternity. And actually, when we have a tighter grip of eternity, we have a looser grip of what the world has to offer us. The bigger our view of eternity, the more we can cope with the knocks of this world. And it might be that this morning the Holy Spirit just wants to come and touch you and just, again, make you realize the wonder of your salvation. The joy of knowing that actually, not simply that the spirits are subject to you, because if you're in Christ, then they are. But actually that your name is written in heaven. That actually that's the fuel in your tank. And as that gets poured in, suddenly you start thinking, yeah, do you know, this car can start moving. We can start going somewhere. It can happen. So I want us just to, to respond to God. I think there might be different things that you can touch. We're going to worship in a minute. And I just want just to let the Holy Spirit touch you in whatever way. Just kind of summing up. It says in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. We are called by God to advance a kingdom of power. I've seen lives changed, situations transformed. That's what it's supposed to be about, dynamic changed. But to quote Uncle Ben from Spider-Man, Peter Parker's uncle, with great power comes great responsibility. And we are people of power, yet we have a responsibility to represent God well and to be motivated by the right things so that as we advance his kingdom, we don't have big power, big blowout. But we have big power that goes from one degree of glory to another. That actually it's something sustainable. That it's something that is ever increasing and that represents God well. Because we're motivated by the right things. And we're attending to our heart. Saying, Lord, make sure the right fuel's in. Because I want this car to go on and on and on. I want this car of advancing the kingdom to break the tape at the end of my life. I want in my last weeks to be extending the kingdom of God. I don't want to have got enthusiastic for a month and then blown out. Let's just respond to God. If I asked the guys if they could come up, we're going to just worship. And, and I just want to let the Holy Spirit just respond to God in whatever way you want to, really. Whatever you feel God's spoken to you about this morning. There might be things you think, actually, yeah, Lord, I know I've been feeling like that. And I just need to ask your forgiveness for that and then start moving on. It might be that you just think, look, actually, I feel empty and I just need refueling. Then actually, we'd love to pray with you to be filled with the Spirit again. It's supposed to be an ongoing daily thing, being filled with the Spirit. If when someone says to you, are you full of the Spirit, and you said, yes, I was 20 years ago at a Bible week, then actually that's not only good, it's today. Are you full of the Spirit today? And so we're just going to worship and then give an opportunity just to pray with people and respond in whatever way you want to, um, because we want to be a people that actually take this and go somewhere, don't we? So let's just, let's just stand, I'm just going to pray, and then we're just going to sing together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've, you have called us to a, a great and amazing adventure. Lord, if you simply saved us, that would be phenomenal. Lord, that would be phenomenal in itself, Lord. And we would be here worshipping you forever, the fact that you had saved us. 
But Lord, not only have you saved us, but you've also commissioned us to now join with you in advancing this kingdom so that many, many more people can be touched by you and come to know you for themselves. Lord, that's, we're the most privileged people on this planet. Lord, we, we don't sometimes realize how amazingly privileged we are. But Lord, we want to take you at your word. Lord, we want to be a people that step out. We want to be a people that do it well. Lord, we want to be a people that hear you and are motivated by the right thing. So help us this morning, Lord, as we just respond to you, Lord, in whatever way. Lord, if we need refueling, then come. We want to refuel this morning. Lord, if we need just a bit of a change in the mix, Lord, come and change some of the mix, Lord. But give us, make us be a people, Lord, that are here in 20, 30, 40 years' time, advancing the kingdom more and more. Mm. Lord, we're here for the long haul, Lord. We want to see this area, our communities, transformed by you, Lord. Not just in the next six months, Lord, but for the rest of our lifetime. We want to see you come in power, Lord. So we just love you, Lord. And we just ask, Holy Spirit, you just come and meet with us now. Amen.